With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for A's Unfiltered here on A's Cast. I'm Chris Townsend. In this edition, you're going to hear from the new Hall of Famer, the Ford C. Frick Award winner and former A, the legend, Ken Hawk Harrelson. God, this guy's great. 78 years old and finally going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Jim Duquette from Sirius XM, the former general manager, does his great talk show on MLB radio. And then we're going to have Rhett Bollinger check in on the Angels. They sign Rendon to the big contract, $245 million. But how are they going to get anybody out? And we'll also have to ask about the Dodgers because the Dodgers haven't been doing anything in Southern California. And Adnan Verk, who works for the MLB Network and also DAZN, is going to talk a little national baseball with us. But before that, we got to get to the new Hall of Famer, the legend, the Hawk, Ken Hawk Harrelson, right here on A's Cast. Ken, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you? Chris, how are you, buddy? Uh, we're doing great, and congratulations on the Ford C. Frick Award. I mean, you've had such an incredible life, a career in baseball as a player and as a broadcaster. So we just wanted to say, uh, knowing that you're a former A, congratulations, so well-deserved. Thank you very much. And it's, it is, there's no question about it. It's an honor. And I, when they called me and told me that I was the recipient this year, that I didn't know what to say. And that's, that's very seldom in my life have I ever been <laughs> A situation I didn't know what to say, <laughs> and I I just had a brain cramp. I I didn't know what to say except thank you. But uh, yeah, it's it's something that you dream about from the time you're in little league baseball. Yeah, and I think about your relationship with the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago White Sox fans. What has it been like since since you got that call from the fan base that Chicago? We know how much they love you. Well, it's been nonstop since since uh, last Wednesday at twelve o'clock when they announced the uh, and it's been wonderful. I've heard from people, you know, from Europe, uh, from uh, South America when I played winter ball in Venezuela for three years, and all over the you know all over the country, and it's amazing because I don't know how people get my number. You know, but they find ways over the internet, and it's just been awesome. 
And I, I, I think about you also as a former player receiving this award. You know, a lot of times it's just guys that weren't players and they were broadcasters in their career. The fact that you had a great career and the fact that you're now going into the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster also has to be so special for you. It is. There's no question about it. You know, and then started off with Kansas City, as you know, and, and that's we had a great bunch of guys there. I mean, a great bunch of guys. And then when Charlie Finley and I got into an argument, uh, when he fired Alvin dark and I, uh, busted his behind in the, in the media, uh, and he released me, uh, that happened to be at the time where they call it the greatest pennant race in the history of baseball, where you had the white Sox, the red Sox, the twins and the tigers all within one game of each other going down for the last three weeks or so. And uh, I was really swinging the bat well, you know, and I, at that time I was making uh, uh, 6000 uh, no, excuse me, $12,000 from uh, Kansas City Club because I was a young player. And then when Tony released me, the only guy, as I said, was swinging the bat better than I was, was Jastrzemski that year. And he, hell, he won the uh, Triple Crowns. So I was making 12000 Two days later, I was making 150000 that's not a bad pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that time, that was the highest paid. I was for a short time. I was the highest paid player in baseball. You know, it's it just and that's that's fate. That's kismet. You know, and uh, I've always said I've been a luck, lucky guy, one of the luckiest guys ever stepped two feet on the face of the earth because I had a great mom. And I know there've been a lot of young men and women who love their moms, but I want to tell you what: there's never been a young man or a woman who loved their mom more, more than I did. I loved her. She was divorced when I was young and we were, we were just so close and she raised me and, and, uh, gave me some good values. And I've, I've lived by those values all this time. You know, I'm 78 years old now and I'm still a mama's boy. Yeah. It just, it, it you know, the people that help us throughout our careers, and I'm sure you're going to bring her up when you give your speech there in Cooperstown it's the people that do so much for us that have allowed us to be a part of this great game for a long time. It is, Chris. I, I'll tell you what. It's, it's, I love the game today. Believe it or not, I love the game today more than I ever have because I've seen and I've been privileged and honored to have seen the, the evolution of the game. You know, when I played in my era, we – our superstars back in those days in my era would have been superstars today. You know, the Mantle, the Mays, the Marises, and the average player in the major leagues when I was there. And today, the guys who are a tick above the average player in the major leagues is so much better than I was, and we were. It's not even funny. And, and one of the reasons, being the great, and I'm very partial to the Latins. I really am. And uh, I'm very partial to African-Americans who because I know what they had to go through. I saw it, and I, had, I lived with it. And, and the, the, these guys today, I'm telling you what, they are so fun to watch. They can do some things that we never even thought about doing. And, and uh, it's just a wonderful game. I, it's, it's, to me, it's the best game going because of the fact there are no experts in this game. I've been in this, I've been in this game come January 1st of 2020, all the parts of – eight decades wow. and there's only five other guys who, who've been there that's Vin Scully uh, Tommy Lasorda Don Zimmer Dave Garcia 
and Bob Euchre. And and Euchre is, to me, one of the greatest. He and Lasorda are two of the greatest ambassadors for this game I've ever seen. And and to watch the, how the game has evolved and, and to what it's evolved, it, it is a different game than when we played. Well, your career is amazing, and your good friend Ray Fossey, uh, we talk about you, and, and you know, Ray, Ray, Ray has that resume too. Like his, his entire, your guys' entire life has been in baseball. Whether it's at players, you were an executive, uh, you were a broadcaster. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful life. Well, Ray Fossey is one of the greatest friends and one of the greatest teammates I've ever had. He is a wonderful person. He and Carol, I'll tell you what, I love them. I love them like a son and a daughter. And, and, and he was he was a hell of a player, I'll tell you that right now. He was a hell of a leader on the ball club. And he has developed into what I think is one of the better analysts in the game of baseball, period. And I, you know, the last years uh, with the White Sox, we have a home in South Bend or Granger. And it's about 100 miles from my home here to the parking spot at the ballpark in Chicago. And so after a night game, I would put on my Sirius XM radio and I would listen to Ray uh, as much as I could. And he, I'm so proud of him, I'll tell you, as I said, he's just like a son. He, he's, he's really a terrific announcer now. And when I think about your career, you started out in broadcasting and then you became the man to lead the Chicago White Sox, executive vice president of baseball operations. And then you went back into broadcasting. Talk about that time where you broadcasted, then you ran the White Sox, and then you went back to broadcasting. Well, the White Sox, uh, when, when they asked me to take over the ball club in 86, I really didn't want to. Uh, and, but I love Jerry Reinsdorf and Eddie Einhorn. They own the club, and I did it for them. And some things had to be done. There had to be some changes made, and I made them. And I told them that I, I only wanted a one-year contract, and that's what I signed. And then after the one year, or even just a little prior to that, I, I, I didn't want to do it anymore because it's, it's one of the nastiest jobs in, in the game of baseball because you've got to hire people, you've got to fire people. And it's a lot easier to hire somebody than it is to fire them. And, uh, but somebody had to clean it up, and I was the cleaner-upper. So then I went back into uh, set out a year, and I went back to uh, broadcasting with uh, the Yankees. And then they changed stations and they brought in their own announcers and then Jerry and Eddie brought me back to the White Sox and uh, of course I've had 42 years of announcing and it's just it, you're right it's been a great ride you know my beautiful wife my beautiful Greek wife Aristea she was the one was the impetus for me to do all this stuff and it's it's been interesting Chris I'll tell you that right now it hadn't been boring. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, people might describe you in a lot of ways, but I guarantee they'll never describe you as boring. <laughs> no, you know, and people, I, I was on a couple of other shows this morning, and they're talking about how did you feel when people called you a homer? Well, that was the biggest compliment you could pay me because announcing – and everybody, all the announcers I've worked with over 42 years, I've told them, I said, this is just like playing. You have got to be prepared. You have got to be ready. 
you have got to make sure that you know when you step in that booth that you're ready to do it. Not that you're going to use it all because the game will take care of itself. And anybody, anybody can do a 2-1, 1-0, 3-2 game. But the games that you've got to handle are the ones who are 9 to nothing, you know, 11 to 2. And those are the games that that's when you come out with some stories and stuff. And, 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 uh, and I've had, I've just had a great experience at that time. And I've never, I've never tried to please everybody, as you know, uh, because you can't, you know, I, I get, I've had hundreds and hundreds of letters over the years from young aspiring announcers. And they say, can you give me any, you know, tips on how it should go? I tell them, yeah, be yourself. I said, be yourself and don't try to please everybody because you can't, especially in a two-team city. Like, you know, you guys are in Oakland and, and San Francisco. That's a two-team city to me. And you're going to catch a lot of criticism. And you've got to have a thick skin, and you cannot be press conscious. And I have never been. I've got a very thick skin, and I can, I can handle anything that comes down the road. Well, you did it your way, and your way is leading you to Cooperstown as a Hall of Famer and a Ford C. Frick Award winner. Congratulations. We're all so happy for you. Can't wait to hear your speech in July, and have a wonderful time with your family, and have a great Christmas. Thanks, Chris, and uh, as well to you, buddy. And and give, give Ray a big hug and Carol a big hug for me. Will do. Enjoy. Take care. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. That man is a legend. He's great, isn't he? Got to meet him over the years uh, because of Ray Fossey and just just absolutely love the guy. And Ford C. Frick Award winner, he totally deserves it, and uh, it's going to be great. Can't wait for his speech. Jim Duquette and Mike Farron do a great job. You hear Mike also coming on uh, my program. Commander Cody and I get him on. Uh, they do a terrific talk show on MLB Radio, Sirius XM. Here is the former general manager, Jim Duquette. Jim, are you there? Hey, how's it going? Yep, gotcha. What's going on there? Well, I got to tell you, I just bought a new car, and so I got Sirius XM, and, yes. I, and I've been able to listen to your guys' show because, you know, Mike's also a friend of the program. Yes. Your guys' show, Power Alley, is absolutely yes. fantastic. I appreciate that. What kind of car did you get? I got a Lexus. Well, you know what? I have a Lexus, too, and I won't buy any other car now. So, all right, we're, we're brothers. There yeah. we go. And, and, and I listened to Mike narrated that tribute to Tony Gwynn. I mean, for people who are baseball fans, your guys' channel is amazing, and that whole tribute to Tony Gwynn was, was unbelievable. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. He, he's really good. I, I'll never tell him that in person, or I hope he never hears this. But he's <laughs> he's he's very he's very good at at what he does. He's re- really good at some of those tributes. He's, it's, uh, and uh, you know, again, the channel the channel itself is. Um, I mean, we we in terms of getting general managers and managers, uh, and for content, it's 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 really good. You know, I, we were just talking about Mass and Bumgarner because some people up in our area now are like, ah, oh, he's not the same pitcher. And I'm like, hey, listen, this guy's going to give you 33 to 34 starts. He's right. going to give you over 200 innings. He's going to have a big chip on his shoulder. I really like this deal for Arizona. How would you feel? Well, I did, too. I, You know, it's and it's really, I think, a relatively modest cost. You know, 17, was it 17 million per year? Uh, the average annual value of the of the contract, 
for five years, and you know, I, so I thought he made some strides last year, and now because he was healthy, um, you know, and I think there's even more there that he can do to 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 pitch more effectively. I think, you know, staying in the in the National League is helpful. Uh, staying in that division is helpful. He knows the hitters. Uh, it's not it's not as good of a pitcher's park, obviously, than San Francisco. But I mean, I thought there were some signs that last year that. Maybe not the old Madison Bumgarner, like people have said, but still a very, a very good pitch. I felt if they can get a number two or number three type of starter out of him, um, you know, who, who knows, who knows where, you know, where that will fit in in their rotation. I think that helps them a lot, and I also think that we know what you know. You guys saw it firsthand what kind of postseason pitcher he is. So, I think that he brings a lot to the uh, to the table, and um, you know, adding and subtracting off of his his four-seamer and cutter and curveball, I think, you know, that I think will his his contract will age well versus maybe some of these other contracts who have the high-end velocity, but you see a drop in velocity over, let's say, a three- or four- or five-year period. We had a writer on from Southern California earlier in the show, and I was just asking about the Dodgers because in L.A., L.A. is about stars. And Andrew Friedman is not running the Dodgers that way. He's been very successful Hasn't won a World Series yet, but these Dodger fans are not happy because they keep looking at everybody, keeps outbidding them. How do you think, what do you think about the way Andrew Friedman is running the Los Angeles Dodgers? He's, he's running them very frugally, I would say, uh, which is not what we're used to seeing with the Dodgers. They, you know, they, obviously their payroll was, had been the highest uh, in, the, in the sport three years ago, four years ago. This is a goal of theirs to bring it down into – you know, below the luxury tax, and you know now that they're that they've done that, I'm a little surprised that they haven't spent the money you know, to date. And you know, they've they've come up uh, second fiddle to Harper. They, uh, you know, Garrett Cole, uh, Anthony Rendon. Although you know, they claimed that they knew Rendon didn't want to play there. I think if they had shown shown him the money, like it always, uh, he would be there. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised that they've come up empty. They, having said that, still a really good team. And there's, you know, there's still the team to beat out there, obviously in the West. So, um, but I, I, I am, uh, you know, and they're very, they're very sensitive these days. I talked to Stan Caston, their president, uh, recently at the winter meetings, and you know, he's like, well, I think Andrew Friedman gets a bad rep for not spending any money. He really hasn't spent much money on the free agent market. He signed, you know, obviously Kenley Jansen and, and Justin Turner to, to, uh, you know, re-upped with them to extensions. But your overall, I think AJ Pollock is their most expensive free agent under his under his uh, t- uh, watch, at least so far. And then I start thinking about these big deals, and we were all at the winter meetings. Out of out of all these big deals, these big Scott Boris signings, which one do you like the most? Boy, I don't like any of them. They're so expensive. <laughs> but I, would, I mean, I can't even imagine spending that kind of money. That that. that you know that kind of expenditure. I mean, for everybody, and you know this, it's it's really an ownership decision, right? It's it's the front office. You said, do you want any of those three guys? You raise your hand and say yes, of course. But do you want to pay that kind of money? No. Um, I, I I feel like you know Strasburg has the injuries uh, from the past, so that one concerns me the most. Um, you know, I I generally take the position player over the pitcher, but Cole is so dominant. Um, I'll say this. The Yankees, they don't expect them to be productive for the for the nine years of it. It's probably over seven years. So, in essence, if you take that number, 320, divide it out by seven, 
They're paying them about $50 million, $50 million per year. I don't like that as an average annual value. So a long way around your, your to answer your question, I'd probably like Rendon the most, followed by Cole and then Strasburg. Yeah, what do you think Cole has to do to satisfy that fan base? Because when you sign for that kind of money, boy, they're, they're, they're just going to see dollar signs on your forehead. What, what, what do you think he'll have to do to satisfy Yankee fans for that contract? I wonder if, it, if there's anything that's good enough, you know, for them. I mean, it, it, getting out of the gate that first year is so important. And if he can do that, um, you know, then, you know, even when he has a struggle for, you know, the, the thing about uh, New York and the fan base there with the Yankees, it's, you know, you have a bad inning or two, they'll give you, they'll give you a little bit of a pass. But if you put together, you string together a couple of starts that are clunkers, you're going to start getting restless. And I say this, if you don't pitch well on opening day, you might, they might boo you walking up, but it's it's not necessarily anything other than that's how they express their you know opinion about you know the way you pitch that day. They can turn and then pitch you know and 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 for the better and support you if you pitch well. So it's really going to be about his results, and I think the early part of that contract will be fine once he gets adjusted. <laughs> he will be booed in those nine years. At some point, he will get a oh, boo. You know it. They're probably <laughs> in year one. <laughs> So with the guys left on the board, I think of Josh Donaldson, our, our old third baseman. We love J.D., yep. a fiery player. If you were looking to sign him and you were one of these teams that needs a third baseman, where do you think years and range should be for him? Well, I, I think that, you know, he in the, I think it's going to end up being a four-year deal. And whether you want to go there or not, to get the player, there's enough interest between, well, Texas backed out now, but Atlanta, Washington, Minnesota is in the you know in the in the mix among others, but uh, possibly the possibly the Dodgers. Um, you know it, it's hard. You know I know teams are looking at two years trying to get them for two. It, it was more likely going to get get them three, and it was probably going to be around twenty five million per year. Now I think it's pushed up to four at probably the same number. So it wouldn't surprise me if they if he got a hundred million. Um, it's going to be pretty close, I think. But I think it's going to take four years to get them done. And my preference, if I were an American League club, I would be willing to extend it just because of the DH. You can kind of manage his uh, his uh, at-bats a little bit better that way. Yeah, and I, thought, I think about Castellanos is like that, too. He's just turning 28. I mean, he yeah. had 58 doubles last year, but we know he's not very good defensively. Do you like him as a better fit in the American League because of the DH? Yeah, I, I I do. I think you know. I also put him in the outfield, in the corner, um, and keep him as far as far away from the home plate as you can. But you know, he has some value. The guy, the guy. You know, I, I think. But one thing that we saw, Scott Boris represents Castellanos too, and you know, he felt like when when Mike Mustaka signed with Cincinnati that that pushed Castellanos' number above the above sixty four million for four years. I don't agree with that. I don't think the industry does. So um, I think it's still going to be you know below. 64 million, probably in the 50 range for three, something like that. Um, and I think that's a reasonable uh, contract, you know, for a guy that can swing the bat the way he did. And you know, obviously getting out of Detroit helped him too. I think he showed enough. So you know, in, in that sense, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a three-year deal um, or a four-year deal, but under 64 million, which is where Mustakas was. Yeah, Scott Boris. There was I remember an article that came out, you know, talking about whether Scott Boris had lost his fastball. I think uh, Scott showed us at the winter meetings and continued this offseason, he still has that electric fastball. Well, look at what he's done in, just in this calendar year, right? He, he grabbed um, 
we've never we hadn't seen a, a pitcher sign over 300 million. So he he got that done with Garrett Cole. Uh, he set a record before that for for a pitcher in Steven Strasburg. Uh, he was over the 217 number that David Price got. He gave him 245 for Strasburg. He got another 245 million for Rendon, and then last year he got over 300 million for a position player in Harper. That's a pretty good year. That's a lot of money, and you've dealt with him. We we had him on the show recently. He's a fascinating guy. What's it like to negotiate with him? Well, it's, a, it's the most difficult thing that you'll do in the sport. I mean, he's so good at what he does. He's very prepared. Uh, you do have to check him on, on some of his uh, data, some of his information. It's not, complete, it's not always accurate. It's going gonna, it's gonna to skew more towards the, the narrative that he's going to try to talk to you about. Um, I think with the GMs, you're trying to protect him from talking to ownership. Even though the, the owners are going to try to negotiate the deal, you'd rather you'd rather have a a, a, a go between between the owner and the Boris uh, conversation when it comes to these high end guys. Because again, he makes you he makes you feel like um, you have no chance. He makes you feel like your offer is extremely low. Um, it's I've said this before, but it's almost like you know it's a it's a hidden target that you don't know where the end game is. So very, very difficult things to. And he has the best players, so you know you you. It's not like you just you want his players. You kind of need need them, need the players. So he has most of the leverage. And if you're going to stay in the game with him, you have to really be able to call his bluff, wait him out. Um, and not every team is built that way. So there's a lot of there's a lot of inherent um, difficulties when you're negotiating with him. When you talk about building a roster, and I'm thinking about our Oakland Athletics, right now our A's are very right-handed dominant when it comes to position players. Would that scare you going into spring, or would you just say, hey, it is what it is? Uh, it, you know what, it, you'd like to try to you know, pick up, uh, you know, have a little more balance to your lineup, if at all possible. Um, it's not always necessary, you know. I, I, I look at um, you know some of the other teams. Like the, I'll, I'll say this, the Yankees' offense. Um, well, like I don't think the A's is quite as powerful as the Yankees, but the Yankees are very, very right-handed, and they lost Gregorius, so it's even more right-handed. You know, there are teams that that you know. I remember the Astros um, were very right-handed until recently when they picked up. Well, a couple years ago they picked up Josh Reddick, and then last year they picked up Michael Brantley. So, I mean, it, it's. You'd like to have the balance at all possible, and you know I know they're working towards that. I talked to David Forrest at the winter meetings there in San Diego. That's one of their goals. But I I wouldn't get too caught up in it. You know, if any time you're sending out there, you know the, the the just the Chapman, Simeon, Olson, Davis group, um, you know you're, you're, that's that's a pretty formidable middle of the lineup uh, or you know, lineup that can score some runs. So I don't get too worried about it. Although you know, again, it's it's one of those that you that you want to have. You don't need to have it. And you know, let's end on this. We found out down there at the winter meetings that uh, what's going to come down with the Houston Astros is not going to come down until after the first of the year. We right. know we know something's going to happen. How much do you think this will affect the actual team on the field? You know that's a that's a hard one to know because you know if you're if you're let's say the the manager you know, I don't know if he's going to be suspended or not or AJ Hinch that affects the team out of the gate if, you know because I think he's one of the best managers in the game uh, keeping the team together I think that has a chance to impact them uh, it could impact the general manager you know and you know their ability to try to improve the team 
Um, there's so many unknowns right now, uh, you know, on how they're going to do it. In the end, I, I think they're going to be penalized, you know, draft picks, and it'll hurt the, the future. Um, but it kind of remains to be seen the present, you know, of what how how that's going to impact them. And you know, I don't I don't know I don't I don't see there being anything, you know, when it comes to the players and suspending them. I'd be, I'd be very surprised in that sense because they'll have a uh, a grievance on their hands, but I could see it extending to the GM, possibly the manager, and you know I think that indirectly would affect the, the the team on the field. Jim, we always appreciate the time. Have a great Christmas, happy holidays, yes, and same keep to you. and keep doing a great job on Sirius. All right, man. Keep, thanks, and uh, keep listening. Thanks, <laughs> we'll Jim. Talk to you later. Jim, always gracious with his time. We truly appreciate it. And now we head to Southern California. A major move for the Angels, and it's not Garrett Cole. They miss out on Garrett Cole, but they get Rendon. Rhett Bollinger covers the Angels for MLB.com. Rhett, Chris Townsend with the A's. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. We are doing well. We just got back from the winter meetings and and a lot of news. And uh, Anthony Rendon, did you see that coming down for the Halos? Not, you know, at the start of the winter meetings. Coming into it, I thought for sure they're going to go after pitching. I thought that, you know, Garrett Cole would be their top target, as we thought all winter. Uh, Steven Strasburg was kind of also in the mix, uh, you know, kind of heading into the winter meetings. So that first day on Monday, that first domino fell with Strasburg. Yeah, I thought, okay, they didn't go all in on, you know, on Cole. And there was also some kind of reports at the time kind of linking them to some third base. And I thought, well, if they could always pivot. And sure enough, once, you know, Cole went off the board, I really thought for sure they are going to go after a guy like Rendon. So I think that Artie Moreno really wanted to make a splash this offseason. He wanted to get an impact player. Um, and, I, and he did it, but, you know, it was definitely a surprise in a sense that it was a position player considering how much pitching they need. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I respect about Artie is the fact that he's always trying to win. He's always spending money. He's always trying to win. And, and as fans, you like that because we are in a time where we see so many teams that will just punt and they don't want to, you know, oh, we're going to reload or we're going to rebuild. I like the fact that Artie Moreno doesn't, he doesn't ever do that. Exactly. I do think fans definitely appreciate that and he's going for it. And even the decision to, you know, kind of move on from Osmus that quickly when Joe Madden became available, obviously Madden had ties to the Angels, but I think the same thing, I think Artie wanted to kind of excite the fan base a little bit, bring in a known manager that's, you know, kind of one of the biggest names out there, if not one of the biggest name managers out there. And then sure enough, like I said, to kind of, pivot and go after Rendon, a guy that most people never would have thought uh, the Angels would go after just because they have a, you know, a pretty solid infield already with LaStella, who was an all-star, and David Fletcher, kind of a breakout guy, and obviously Simmons uh, at shortstop. So they've had a little bit of infield depth, so it's kind of a surprise. But, yeah, Artie wants to kind of spend his money and try to win because it's been a while since they were in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rendon's a hell of a player. There's no question. And the infield just got a lot better. My question is, how are the Angels going to get 27 outs? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's what they're trying to figure it out right now. Uh, I do think they're still going to be active active out there, both in free agency and on the trade market. I, I see them adding definitely at least one starter, but uh, possibly even two. Um, you know, as far as free agency, uh, still, you know, looking at Dallas Keuchel as a potential option, especially considering uh, that left side, that infield is going to be pretty darn good defensively with Rendon and, and Simmons. Um, you know, Hunter and Ryu uh, could be potential as well. Um, on the trade front, I think David Price is a candidate for sure with Boston, especially if they take on a little bit of the money, if Boston starts to eat some of that money. Um, so there's some options out there. But, yeah, as it stands right now, you know, you have Otani at the top. But he's only going to pitch once a week. And then Andrew Heaney and Dylan Bundy. And after that, it's a bunch of kind of young kids 
Griffin Canning has a lot of potential. Um, you know, some of those guys, they, some young kids are all 21, 22. You know, Berea, Suarez, Sandoval. So they don't really have that much depth. So you got to figure they got to get at least two more uh, starters to kind of add to that mix. Yeah, I think about Otani and his skill set is just incredible. And we've talked with Mark Gubazaw about it where I, I would love to see him hit and pitch in the All-Star game and also do home run derby. I mean, he's I mean he's the Japanese Babe Ruth. He's amazing. But at some point, is it Otani or somebody say, you got to stop babying this guy, and he's got to be in the lineup almost on an everyday basis, and he needs to pitch every five days if, if you're going to have a shot at either taking down the Astros or the A's. Yeah, I think some of that's going to go to the doctors in terms of, especially right now with, the, with the Tommy John. Um, but I do think you're right. I think that, and I think talking to you know Joe Madden at the, Winter meetings, he's kind of more all in on the let's stop babying him. Our players, is exact quote, are not China dolls. Let's not act like they're all going to break. Um, you know, Otani obviously is a special talent and in a rare case that he can do both. So there is a little bit of risk. But, um, and, you know, and Madden did the same thing at the winter meetings. He wants to bat Otani on the days that he pitches um, and kind of lose the DH just because Otani's bat is so valuable in there. And, um, you know, I think there'd always be a chance that maybe you don't DH him the day before he pitches just because of the risk of, of injury or even just because. He gets hurt that day, then all of a sudden now your rotation is kind of scrambled for a starter for the next day. But, yeah, I do think that we'll see more of that once he kind of can prove that he's fully healthy. And there is a little bit of a hurdle here. Here he's not quite done with the rehab yet. Uh, from Tommy John, I think he'll be done with that here around Christmas time. And then from there, they'll kind of figure out the rest of his plan um, in terms of, you know, when he's going to pitch and kind of come up with this whole season plan. But right now it's still kind of in limbo. But I do think going forward, I think the Angels will be more aggressive with it. Uh, we've had Billy Epler on the program. I like him a lot. He's a good guy. Where is he right now with job security with Artie Moreno? It's a good question. I mean, I think right now if, if these signings do pan out, if you, obviously I think that uh, the fact that they got rid of Doan was, was a big thing, and then obviously even locking up Trout the way they did before the start of the season was a huge deal. And, you know, obviously last year they, they stuck out on pretty much every single one-year deal. But, you know, this offseason they're trying to be more aggressive and not getting those kind of guys that are kind of, you know, flyers, you could say, like last year with Harvey, Cahill, those kind of guys. They're actually going after impact talent. But I guess it just kind of depends on how they do this season. You know, right now, you know, Epler's in the last year of his deal. Um, if they have a really disappointing year, you can see them moving on. But, if, you know, if they have a, you know, really good year, and uh, I, I can see them obviously extending Epler. He's done a good job of building the farm system when he took over. It was definitely one of the worst in baseball. It's gotten much better. Uh, Joe Adele is going to be the kind of the crown jewel of that class. So, um, I, I think that signing Rendon was a positive thing for them to kind of get an impact guy that could help them win more games next year. But I do think some of it's kind of in limbo until we see how this team does on the field. So for the fan base, bringing Joe Madden back, did it really fire up the fan base? Did the fan base just go, eh? What, what, was, what was it like bringing Joe Madden back to the Angels? It actually surprisingly did fire up the fan base. I was surprised by the reaction. People on you know social media were excited, just the whole – Press conference was a big deal for people, and um, I think even some of the old school fans were kind of excited because he, you know, he was with the organization for so long, from the late 70s till you know the the 2000s, you know, until he took over the Rays job. So was part of that World Series winning team. Um, he's always been a likable character even before he was you know manager of the Rays. I think the old school fans know that. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that he brings a culture of winning. You know, the, the teams that he won with, with in Tampa, and those, you know all those teams he won with in Chicago. Um, I think they were kind of also ready for a culture change just with, you know, obviously last year was a, was a rough year for a lot of reasons. Um, I think they kind of wanted a little bit more excitement and just more fun in the clubhouse for the players too. So 
Um, I think the players are kind of on board um, right now for a little bit of a, you know, culture change too. And I think that, yeah, I think the fans, I was surprised. They actually really were uh, pretty excited to get a, a guy like that. Because like I said, there's not too many managers out there that are big enough names that fans would really care too much. But I do think that Madden, just because he's so different and off the wall and kind of, you know, kind of brings that energy, I think that, it, you know, it was a big enough a little bit of a splash. But I think the fans would have been mad if they didn't go out and get a, a guy like Rendon. I think at least Madden was a good start of the offseason. Well, I got to tell you, it's huge for a guy like you because covering someone like Joe Madden is like a dream. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The stories I'm going to hear, and just oh yeah, he's even he had a nice little brunch with him at the winter meetings uh, on that Wednesday, and just yeah, just a great storyteller, and uh, definitely knows how to you know respect the media, and yeah, it's just going to be fun to to interact with him all throughout the season. And you know, we have a pretty small beat compared to Chicago too, so I'm sure he's used to that from his time in Tampa. But at least it'd be kind of fun to kind of get to know him and yeah, hear all his stories, and just yeah, it's going to be a dream to cover him for sure. Where did the Angels finish up in Garrett Cole? How high did they go? You know, they went up to almost $300 million. It was a little below what the Dodgers offered. Um, it's hard to say. I think Cole was always kind of between the, the Angels and the Yankees, though, it seemed like in general in terms of his preferences. Just because he's an Orange County guy and um, you know, grew up close to Angel Stadium, went to high school five miles away from the stadium, but you know, grew up a Yankees fan too. And I think what it came down to, though, was just he wanted to – this according to what Scott Boris told us uh, the other day was that, that that Cole really wanted just to join a, a ready-made winner, and I, I just don't think the Angels were quite there yet. Um, if the Angels had a stacked roster the way the Yankees do, I think that it would have probably been a no-brainer for him to go back home and do that. But um, you know, when the Yankees are outbidding you, and uh, the Angels also never were willing to go to what the Yankees offered to, so I'm sure it made it a lot easier for Cole to get the most money offered and also uh, get a chance to play for a team that's you know built to win a championship. Um, but I do think if they had a better roster, they probably would have had a better chance. But I, I do think that Cole kind of got what he wanted, though, and is going to go to a, obviously a really good team. So I think about the Dodgers north of you. They got under the luxury. They got under the luxury tax, so they got away from that luxury tax hell. They got money to spend, but they haven't spent money. Are you surprised by that? Yeah, I am surprised by that. And you know, being down here in the area. I have a lot of friends that are Dodger fans, and I hear them all the time, and they're, they're angry. Dodger fans are an angry bunch right now, despite the fact their team's won, what, like seven or eight division titles in a row. They want their World Series. You know, it's been forever for that to happen. And as much as this front office has done a great job and really consistent winner, they don't really ever seem to go all in ever in the offseason. Or, you know, they make those kind of deadline trades for, you know, Machado or Darvish, but they never really go all in or get that premium free agent. And, you know, last year they went out and got Pollock, and that didn't really work out in that first year. Um, so, yeah, to see all these names go off the board and to see Kluber get traded for what he got traded for from the Rangers, um, I think that Dodgers fans want to splash. And I don't really know what splashes are out there still. And, you know, to see the Angels get Rendon, another guy that the Dodgers were interested in but never even made an offer to. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think I am surprised. And they got to get creative, I guess, because they're still, they're still the best team in that division and probably in the NL and, uh, even without any more added additions. But I think they need to go – kind of make that splash because the fan base uh, really wants that World Series. Yeah, and Andrew Friedman, it's like, hey, you're not in Tampa anymore. You're in Los Angeles, and this is a place where stars, LeBron James came to the Lakers. This is a star-driven town, even in Orange County, where you have Mike Trout, who's the greatest player of his generation, and then you bring in Anthony Rendon. You got the Angels spending, and it's like, it's like, it, 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 as much success as they've had, as you said, Dodger fans are not going to care unless you win a World Series. Oh, totally. Yeah, and even for the Angels to bring in Otani, 
over the Dodgers and, uh, you know, even the Pujols deal at the time, the Angels have, you know, haven't been afraid to spend. Some of it hasn't really worked out, but they've been kind of, seems like Moreno's been the guy who's willing to spend. Um, but the Dodgers said, obviously, they, it's impressive that what they built, that their depth and their farm system, everything, it's just a winning organization. But, yeah, I do think just as a, as a fan, like, they just want that World Series so bad. They don't care if, who they trade or what they do or who they spend. But it's just clear this front uh, that they don't want to go over that luxury tax or go all in, and I think that kind of frustrates the fans. Um, we'll see. Like I said, I don't really know what kind of move, maybe if they can trade for Lindor, but that might not happen now, too. Uh, after the Kluber trade. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see what they end up doing. Let's end on this. I know from where we stand with the A's that there's people not happy with the Houston Astros. And the A's are a team that they've known some funny business has been going on for a while. What's the take like down there by Angel people about what, what's been happening in Houston? Yeah, I don't think anyone's too surprised by any of it. Um, I think there's always been whispers about certain teams and yeah, I mean, the Astros have been disliked by just about everybody in, in baseball for a long time now in terms of the way they kind of conduct themselves and, and everything else. You know, and obviously some of it could be some of the, you know, the fact they're such a good team and you know, winners all the time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody on the Angels was very surprised when that report came out. It's probably is, uh, kind of the, the real truth. Is I don't think anyone was too surprised when that came out. We'll see what comes of it and obviously if other teams are implicated. But it sounds like it's just going to be kind of a focus on the Astros. Um, so yeah, like I said, more than anything, even Joe Matt talked about it as, you know, he, he mentioned even in his press conference, you know, he wasn't with the angels, but just, yeah, that there are even other teams he thinks that, you know, have their other ways and whistles or different things, but to do the full on electronic. Yeah. It, it's just such a, yeah, it's just such a, a mess. And just, yeah, it's amazing that the lengths they went, I guess. But like I said, the angels are definitely not surprised. Hey, we appreciate the time and we'll be calling you when, uh, the halos start filling out that rotation. Perfect. Thanks for having me on again. And last but not least, Adnan Verk, saw him for years on ESPN, now with MLB Network. And we started off by he meets somebody famous there at the network, and it's not who you think it would be. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time. And it, and it sounds like there at MLB Network, you, you've had a very uh, interesting day. So I come into work. I'm hosting MLB Tonight from 6 to 7 o'clock Eastern with John Smoltz and Sean Casey. And I'm talking to my producer, Jason Grillo. And then one of our PR guys comes up and goes, hey, Chuck D's over there. I'm like, what? He's you want to go meet Chuck D? And, and I don't think he's kidding. Maybe somebody who looks like Chuck D, <laughs> Chuck D's doppelganger. But no, when he said it the second time, I realized, why would someone be kidding about something like that? It's a very specific reference. And he said, you know, Justin Bieber just walked in. I'm like, okay, sure. Chuck D could actually be here. And there he was. It was amazing. So I, It's always hard, right? It makes you think about when people meet someone. Like, what are you supposed to say? What do you do? But I thought it was okay. I went up to him, and I said, Chuck, big fan. He was there with uh, whoever he was with, a couple people. And I just I thought to think of something unique. I always think of this, right? Was, I met Robert here, who was my hero. I met so many great people. I always try to think of something specific. So I just said to Chuck, listen, Neither Living Bass Head is one of my favorite songs. He's like, oh, thanks. I don't think he was floored by it, but at least it's better than saying, hey, now I want to joke. I'm a huge fan. And then I said, listen, you know, I grew up on your music. And I said, being Canadian, I'm from Toronto. I didn't know anything about the New York Post until I heard your songs. You started laughing. New York Post is a joke for anyone who knows. So you can look up the song. I can't actually, but it's called Letter to the New York Post. It's the name of the song. I can't obviously quote any of it because it's language. But uh, it was great. And then I said, hey, you got the Pirates on your big Pirates page. They said, no, we just love Clemente. I thought, oh, that makes sense. And then Brian Kenny came up, and then Brian Kenny and him, I guess, maybe had interviewed earlier on the show. He started talking about Alex. I kind of got frozen out. But he remembered me at the end because I walked away. He's like, T-Dot. Like, that's right. I'm Toronto. I love it. Chuck D's the man. So what's Chuck D doing at MLB Network? 
a great question. I'm going to assume he was on MLB Now because the way he was talking to Brian Kenny, I'm going to assume that he had just done Brian's show. And so maybe he was promoting a, you know, a new album or a book or something along those lines. That's, that's my best guess because, you know, the shows that we're doing right now are Hot Soap, which is with Matt Besker's, and that's in the morning, Brian's show, which is in the afternoon, and then I'm hosting MLB tonight. So I'm going to assume he was a guest today. He must be throwing something. Okay. But I'll get to the bottom of it. My, my, uh, my sources say uh, they're doing something on the great Dave Parker. Yes. That, that might be. You know what? I have seen something about Dave Parker. That makes sense. They're doing a documentary about him. I believe it's called Cobra, something like that. I have seen that on the network. So Maybe that's what it was. They flew Chuck in there to talk about Dave Parker. Yeah. Why wouldn't you include Chuck? <laughs> Absolutely, man. He's awesome. <laughs> what a great moment. Well, we leave the winter meetings, and we're wondering, okay, where's Rendon going to go? Uh, another Boris client. And then all of a sudden, he comes into our division with the Los Angeles Angels. And I'm thinking, I love their lineup. I just don't know how they're going to get 27 outs down there in Anaheim. No question. Pitching is still an enormous concern. Everybody knows it. But once you get, you know, you get beat on Garrett Cole and Strasburg. And Strasburg, I think most of us all, alongside the Nationals. I thought Cole was going to the Angels up until about a week ago. Once we heard the Yankees were interested and had to go ahead to sign, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. And sure enough, never in my wildest dreams was I expecting nine years, 324. You know, I thought 8260 was the number I was hearing from, you know, smart people like Jim Bowden and Tom Berdichie, Ken Rosenthal, and the like. So once Cole goes, he's like, okay, plan B then. I mean, there's no other starter who's as good as Cole or Strasburg. Even Wheeler could be top of tier two. He's gone, the Phillies. And then Madden, of course, signed, although it was after the Rendon signing. But I think for the Angels, it was smart to listen. Just go get the biggest name. Go get the most talent. We'll try to slug this sucker out. Uh, Rendon was the best hitter available. He's tremendous. As you said, when you put him, Otani, Trout, you feel pretty good. Upton as well. Now the pitching is an issue. I think what happens now is, honestly, you just try to make a trade. Because all those names, Wheeler, Madbum, I mean, Tanner Roark to the Jays, um, you know, they're all gone now. So I think now you try to get creative. You swing a trade. You look for some moves. Because there's no doubt the Halos desperately needs to pitch. Uh, no doubt about it, and the the Rangers in our division do the absolute, they do the opposite, and they go out and trade for Corey Kluber and to strengthen their rotation. So I think I think for sure, wouldn't you agree, the Rangers got better? Yes, although I will say this is not the Kluber of the past. Like I'm, I'm a little bit um, skittish on it because he is 34 years old. He's obviously tremendous when he's healthy, but he's coming off a season in which he was disappointing mild injury and inconsistency, so there's a reason why, you know, Cleveland didn't get a ton back, all due respect to Delano Shields Jr. My buddy Justin Avins is tweeting, like, hey, what else, what else is the deal? That's it? But that's where Kluber's value had gone down. But, yes, Texas, clearly Miner and Lynn were great, especially if you, if you, qualify, you know, qualify excellence with war. Both those guys were tremendous in the American League. So if you add Corey Kluber to that mix, if he can go back to being the guy he once was, absolutely that's a win for Texas when everybody thought that Rendon was going to go there because he's from the home state of Texas. You give him seven years, 210, he'll get it done. Instead, the Angels pay more money. Rangers go to plan B, which is to get Kluber, which is still a good move. But, yeah, both those teams have definitely improved the Rangers and the Angels. And then a big shocker up here in Northern California, Madison Bumgarner. We knew he didn't want to go to the American League. We thought maybe he would go closer to home in Atlanta, but he goes to Arizona five years, $85 million, 
and you know there's something about him, that chip on his shoulder, he can't wait to take on the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, my original prediction had been five years, 90. So I did think he'd get 18 million years. So I was actually proud of myself. I was close to the number relative straight to 585. But I thought Yankees, of course, that was at the start of the offseason before I knew the Yankees were in on cold. So I was confident he was going to get paid. Um, again, he's a guy who's had tremendous playoff success. But he's a good, not great pitcher in the regular season. And, you know, Mad Bum sometimes reputation can precede itself. But he's only 30. Like, that's the best thing about Mad Bum is you know, he's been pitching since he's 19. And that's an awful lot of tread on those tires. But he's still relatively young. So, I mean, a five-year deal, maybe year five is not so good. But you can feel pretty good about years three through four. Especially if what you're looking for is, you know, four ERA, 14 or 15 wins. He's going to pitch at 200 innings. And um, I think he can still be really effective. So, yeah, for a try. the thing was, at one point the rumor was he was going to go to L.A., which, you know, to your point about wanting yeah. to pitch against San Francisco, could you imagine if it was Dodgers-Giants? Or he, he couldn't pull that kind of a move, but, yes, I, I'm sure he cannot wait to beat San Francisco and prove to them that he still has plenty left in the tank. Do you think Arizona has any type of shot? And, I mean, we had Tori Lovello on, love him, former A, manager of the D-backs. We had him on at the winter meetings. Great guy. But do you think they got any shot at taking down the Dodgers as of right now? Not as of right now. I mean, the Dodgers are just too good. Even if they lose Ryu, I think Bueller's an absolute stud, and he's an ace of that team. Kershaw, it's crazy to think for $250 million, but he could be the best number two pitcher in the game. And obviously their offense is just stacked. I mean, Bellinger's the MVP. Seager's wonderful. You know, Justin Turner and just so many other good players that kind of go in and out of that lineup. In addition to the fact they've got a guy like Gavin Lux who's going to be an absolute star. They've got a couple of good young arms coming up, Gonsolin as well. I know the bullpen was a little shaky at times, but I do think Gabe Roberts can mix and match, and, and Kenley Jansen is still good. Maybe he's not great anymore. But for Arizona to catch L.A., like that's just not going to happen anytime soon. The Dodgers would have to be a little more depleted. And I share your sentiment. I do really like Troy Lavallo. He's definitely a great manager. And then it becomes big boys off the board. Where do we go next? And our old friend Josh Donaldson's out there. And there's quite a few teams that need a third baseman. You're in the prediction business. What do you think for J.D.? Well, I thought Washington could make sense. Once they lose Rendell, they go, okay, you know what? J.D., we'll, we'll snatch you away from the Braves. You can stay in the division, and we can give you three years, $60 million. Like, to me, that's not unheard of. He made, you know, $23 million, maybe even three years, seventy-five. It's a pretty good total for a guy with a great season. Um, so I kind of thought the Nationals would be interesting. I still for some reason that the Dodgers could make a move only because they can always move guys around. I know they have a third base. We can always put Justin Turner at second base. Now that you didn't get Rendon. So I kind of think Nationals and Dodgers myself, and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, he's going to get paid, and that, that's good news for, for J.D. And then another guy who's out there who's interesting and would like to have him start the season in the big leagues and not have to go what he went through last year, obviously, with the qualifying pick that was on him. But Dallas Keuchel still has some life left in that arm. And, you know, for Dallas Keuchel, he's been hurt by the fact that you know, baseball has changed a little bit now when people look at the game and the sport and they just think of the fact he doesn't have great velocity. He doesn't have those secondary numbers that he appreciates so much. But that doesn't mean the fact he still can't pitch, still can't be effective. I mean, for God's sake, he won a Cy Young. Who cares? His fastball tops at 91-92. Still got a great sinker, change curveball. And, yeah, it was weird how – he couldn't get the deal he wanted. He ended up pitching four months of the year for the Braves, but I still think he's an effective piece out there. And when you look at the pitching market now, how many big names have been swallowed up? Keiko now kind of stands as uh, you know the one big fish remaining. So 
I don't know who's targeting him, but maybe the White Sox, they've got money they want to spend. They could use a veteran presence to help their younger pitchers. Giolito was sixth in the Cy Young voting. They've got Dylan Cease. they got Michael Kopech. The White Sox want to spend money. They, they reset Jose Abreu. they got Grandal for $73 million. Maybe they can convince Keiko to come to Chicago as well. And how about Castellanos? It was funny last year. So we had to deal with them in Detroit. Then he got traded, and we had to deal with them in Chicago with the Cubs. He had 58 doubles last year. He was a doubles-hitting machine, and he's only going to turn 28 in March. Where do you think uh, he might be ending up, and what's his market? Well, I think now maybe because Texas was hoping to get Rendon, they want to spend opening a new ballpark. Maybe they refocus, and they go after a guy like Castellanos. That, to me, makes some more sense. Because, like I said, I think they were going to give sevens in 210 to Rendon. You can get Castellanos, I think, for – you know, five years, $100 million, maybe $90 million. I mean, he, he is a guy, you mentioned those doubles were eye-popping. He's tremendous offensively, but he's a defensive liability. You know, he can hit, but he doesn't do much else after that. So it's not like you're giving him $20 million, $25 million a year, but I do think he could be hitting nine figures because he's had a couple of really good seasons and the way the market dictates. So I wouldn't be surprised the Rangers could use some offense. Maybe they go ahead and, and pay some big money to get Castellanos. I think it's safe to say with all this money going around, baseball's pretty healthy right now. <laughs> it's always one of the biggest things I tell people, you know, whenever anyone says, oh, you know, the way the NBA is and the NFL, which nobody can dispute, obviously, but I said, listen, baseball's fine, okay? <laughs> oh, the attendance is down 3%. Well, you know what? Derek Cole just got $324 million, okay? Rendon's getting oodles of money, $245 million. I think the sport's okay. If teams can still pay like that, I think baseball's in very, very good health. Yeah, we had all these front office people on down in San Diego, and you should have seen the look on their faces when you'd ask them the question, did you ever think you'd see a guy who's going to play once every five days, get over $300 million guaranteed, and everybody's just like, wow, never saw that coming. <laughs> well, I think about, like, ever when Canseco signed – I want to say five years, 25, in like 1990. I mean, I was 12 at the time. I remember that being just a really big moment to me. Obviously, Nolan Lyon was the first million-dollar guy in 1980. I mean, I was two. I don't remember that. But we're going to have a moment here in the future. Our kids are going to say, hey, someone just signed for half a billion dollars, and, and no one's going to blink. Like, we're getting to that point sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, they're going to go, hey, it was a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By the way, uh, talk to us about change-up, because – the zone plays at the Coliseum as we're doing batting practice and everything. Tell us about this concept before you get out of here about your show, Change Up and the Zone. Well, it's been a lot of fun. It's a great partnership with Major League Baseball. And the fact that, you know, basically what's so good about baseball is all the moments as they happen, all the games as they happen. So in the case of Change Up, we don't just watch one great baseball game. We're watching 12 baseball games for you. And that whip-around style built after NFL Red Zone really is the way to go. So you get to see Mike Trout hit, Manny Machado hit, whoever it is, the best matchup as it happens. Oh, Tigers base is order against the Royals. Show. Let's check it out in the ninth inning. Boom, here we go. And so we have the capacity to be like a remote control for the fans. I've loved the format. I had a blast with Scott Rogalski, our entire crew. Um, you know, as a lifelong baseball fan, the only thing better than one baseball game is 12 baseball games or 14 baseball games. So, We've had a lot of fun, man. We're going to be back uh, in the spring with some new ideas and new segments. And uh, I appreciate the fact you guys are playing at theo.co. My buddy Dallas Braden, of course, good friend from ESPN. We've had him on the show a couple of times. He's wonderful. Uh, Liam Hendricks is actually our most popular guest. He's been on the show three times. 
He befriended my friends, Scott Rogowski, at the All-Star Game. So we're very pro-A's on the show. I love Marcus Semien in particular. Love it. Well, I, I, I got to tell you, one day we showed up to the ballpark, and all of a sudden, there you were on the screens. We're like, what is this? It, it was, and it was, it was fascinating to, like, what are we watching? And then once we got the idea, and I think it was really when you had Liam Hendricks on, where you went, yeah, they're, they're, they're basically doing a red zone. Love it. Easiest way to say it for people is just red zone for baseball. We all know how good red zone is in football. Red zone for baseball every single night. I've had a blast, and uh, I'm happy people are watching. Hey, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it, and uh, have a good show. We'll be watching on MLB, MLB Network. I appreciate it. Go A's and go Chuck D. Thank you, everybody, listening to A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Ken Hawk Harrelson, Jim Duquette, Rhett Bollinger, and Adnan Verk. Continue to listen to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.